Hello and welcome to Volleyball State, a look at college volleyball in six rotations, proudly sponsored by the University of Nebraska Federal Credit Union, where by just listening to this show, you are eligible to be a member. I'm Jeff Sheldon. And I'm Lincoln Arneal. The college season is over, so it is big picture time. We're going to take a look back at Nebraska's 2023 season, which ended in a national runner-up finish last weekend. We're going to take a look at most valuable players, surprises, the best moments of the year, and the areas to improve. We already know there's already going to be some roster turnover on the Huskers. Maybe we'll get into that, plus even a little transfer portal gossip. But first, thanks for following the show on social media. You can find us on Twitter at VolleyballPod. Keep the questions and the segment ideas coming and the guest requests through email at VolleyballState at gmail.com. And we are a proud part of the Podcast House Media Network. You can find us, plus all the great Podcast House Media shows online at PodcastHouseMedia.com. If you want to hit us up individually, like several of you have this week, we thank you for that. You can find me on Twitter at by Jeff Sheldon, And I'm on Twitter at Lincoln underscore VB. You can find uh, all my information, news, notes there. And also, I will have a couple of uh, articles on Huskers Illustrated. Those are going to taper off a little bit as we get more into the offseason. But that's where you can find all of my coverage for free for now. So check that out. Um, yeah. So find us. Talk to us. You were communication. You were you were so uh, you were so busy last week. I thought I was busy last week. We we recorded what like four shows in six days. Plus, like how much stuff do you think you did for for Huskers Illustrated? You, how many least, you probably writing like two stories a day? Yeah, two stories a day. A video preview, video a post cap video. Yeah, there's just a lot. But hey, it, I, it comes with the territory. It's all fun and mm-hmm. exciting time to be around the team and be around the sport. So I'll take it with that. I thought yeah. I thought I needed a Christmas break. Like you need a Christmas uh, well, break. We'll, we all we'll, need a Christmas we'll break. We'll all get a break. So it's great. But we're we're still busy today because there's a lot of stuff to talk about. A lot of things to recap. Uh, we got six rotations. A couple of them will be looking uh, looking back. A couple will be looking forward. So we'll start off number rotation number one. We're going to name some of the MVPs, hand out some awards. Uh, who stood out for the Nebraska team this year and who kind of uh, carried the banner. Then we will get to rotation two are the best moments of the year, most memorable, memorable matches, memorable plays, uh, and things that stood out in the whole year. And then rotation three, we'll get to some news. Uh, Jeff gave a little bit of a preview of some player movement. We'll break that down, what's to come, uh, and what lies ahead for the roster of Nebraska. Then we'll again look forward a little bit, rotation four, talk about what areas does Nebraska need to improve if they want to end the, sor- end the season victorious. Uh, we'll do some TV talk in rotation five, and we'll wrap up looking forward what is in store for 2024 for the podcast. So that is what we got ahead. So we will start with rotation one. Let's hand out some awards. Uh, we got, I don't know, we didn't get that creative. I think we covered a lot of the basics and um, who's the highlight, who's the kind of the players that stood out right. to Nebraska too. So let's start out with the uh, season MVPs. Should we call these the, the volleyball stadies? The stadies? We could call them, we call them the stadies. The state of the game? Could, we, could get um, rid of, we could get rid of uh, the obnoxious award uh, names. Really, we, we want to take a look at, at who we thought were the offensive player of the year, defensive player of the year, uh, freshman of the year. Uh, I'm going to go first because I was the one who started taking notes in the show doc first. So uh, I'm taking that privilege. My offensive player of the year this year, kind of a no brainer. I think uh, Merritt Beeson in her first year from Florida after transferring last off season, she was a first team all American as a Husker. And and what I think is even the, mo- the most impressive thing about Merritt Beeson's season, she was named a captain of this team before she ever played a match uh, and then she lived up to it on the court too she led nebraska in kills 
uh, with 3.8 a set. And in most of Nebraska's biggest wins, you could find Merritt Beeson at the top of the stat sheet. She had 27 kills a season high and hit 456 in Nebraska's comeback win at Penn State when the Huskers rallied from 0-2 down to win in five. She had 21 kills in the win over Wisconsin at the Devaney Center. She had 19 kills and hit 366 in the Huskers five-set win uh, at Purdue. Of course, there was some Room for improvement. Uh, Merritt Beeson did not have a wonderful Final Four weekend down in Tampa. Only 11 kills in the Final Four matches against Pitt and Texas. Uh, added up with 11 errors. She hit zero down in Tampa. So I'm sure Merritt uh, is was looking back at the Final Four and, and wishing that she had a little bit more to contribute there. But still, when you look back over the entire length of the season, Lincoln, I have Merritt Beeson as my, as my offensive player of the year. Yes. Uh, we should say that we're going to pick different people just for conversation purposes. Merritt Beeson probably was a very good choice. Uh, and my contrarian point of view, I am going to hand it to freshman setter Bergen Riley. Uh, when you look at kind of how Nebraska performed offensively, it was Bergen was the person who was pulling all the strings and really kind of elevated the player of the entire offensive player. I mean, uh, really found what the engine that drove the uh, Nebraska offense. She she finished up with uh, averaging 10.5 assists per game. And Nebraska as a team hit 273, which is about a 20, I think 20, 30 point per percent improvement over a year ago. Uh, and just look at me, mm-hmm. the connections she built and the diversification of the offense to I me. Mean, this was, a, I mean, as much as we talked late in the season about how Nebraska liked winning the ugly, there were moments where Nebraska's offense was humming and looked good and outclassed some really good teams too. So uh, it all starts with Bergen. Uh, she stepped in as, as a freshman, which is a very tall task to do and really kind of was the, was the key to Nebraska taking a step forward on offense. So that's why Bergen mm-hmm. Riley gets my yeah. offensive MVP. And, and spoiler alert, Bergen's going to pop up on my list, uh, here in just a little bit. So can't go wrong with that pick either. No. Um, defender of the year, you know, I, I'm going to let you go first. So yes. you, I guess we're snake drafting this a little bit. Okay. Why don't you tell us about your defender of the year? Uh, again, this, this to me is, I don't know if it's a no brainer, but, uh, the big, it's a no-brainer. Coaches, the big 10 coaches agree with me that it's Lexi Rodriguez too. I mean, she's the captain. Her digs were down a little bit compared to where they were last year, but she still impacts the game. And there is a play, at least one or two plays per match, where you just drop your jaw. Like, what did, what did she just do? I mean, she makes diving plays, keeps balls alive, keeps Nebraska in a rally. And just her court awareness and just instincts are really unmatched in the college game. It's very, I mean, she's on a level that mm-hmm. very few other liberos are. And to me, she just, I mean, people say that the deep, the team opponent hitting percentage is a team, team stat, but she's kind of mm-hmm. the anchor of that defense and really kind of, uh, plays a big role in Nebraska's defensive system. And it's all built around her and what she could do, uh, covering mm-hmm. floor space and also serve receive. So Lexi Rodriguez is my defender of the year. And another couple things about Lexi Rodriguez that don't always show up in the stat sheet that I think she's pretty good at is, um, one covering her own hitters. Mm-hmm. So, um, if, if you're new to volleyball and you're not, if you never heard that term before covering your hitter, it's where when the offensive player uh, takes a swing, um, other players around them will get down low on the floor in case they're blocked to keep that ball up off the floor and keep the possession alive. Lexi Rodriguez is pretty good at that she's also a wonderful out of system setter we've we both the times we've talked to lauren cook west on the show she's sure to um 
to point out uh, that Lexi Rodriguez is a very good out of system setter, both overhand setting um, behind the 10 foot line. And then when she has to bump set, um, you know, your percentages are always going to be a little bit lower offensively when you're, when you're playing out of system. But Lexi Rodriguez does provide yeah. a, a really good setting option when, when the Huskers are out of system. Yeah. And I think she passed about a 2.4 out of a 3.0 scale, which is really elite and one of the better numbers you'll see in, mm-hmm. in the country too. So she's doing it on server receive too. And, Taking up a lot of court when she's in that rotation. I guess this, what we've just done is we've thrown up the bat signal for Avid to give us Lexi Rodriguez's serve receive numbers. We'd love to see what percentage of, um, I forget how they term it, whether it's good pass or perfect pass, um, you know, good receptions, what percentage of that, that, uh, Lexi Rodriguez had on service this year, you know, the Texas match, notwithstanding, if you look back to the pit match and the national semifinal, when Pitt started serving her in game three, that's when it really got away from Pitt because she was able to keep Nebraska in system and the offense really took off, um, in that set. So yeah, great pick Lincoln, the defender of the year, obviously Lexi Rodriguez. Um, I am going to highlight Becca Alec in my spot here, Nebraska's six foot four sophomore middle blocker from Lincoln. Becca Alec was second in the big 10 at 1.5 blocks per set, which I didn't realize until I looked at the season end numbers. And so much of that came on late. Um, a bit Carter Booth, Wisconsin's middle led the big 10 in blocks, but Becca Alec saved her biggest performances for the end of the year. She had 12 blocks in the regional final against Arkansas. I don't think Nebraska wins that match and even goes to the final four without her. She had 10 blocks in the national semifinal with Pitt. And then she had four more blocks, I believe, in the in the national final against Texas um, as Nebraska's block, you know, kind of did what they could do. Um, put behind the eight ball behind, you know, Nebraska's offense never really getting uh, untracked. But Becca Alec, that was a great surge at the end of the season from her. And I imagine we're going to see her continue to grow um, as a junior. I think you know, she's going to have a chance to to grow a little bit more offensively. Um, I think you know, that's really the next part of uh, her repertoire that needs to go is she grow is she's got to get that hitting percentage up above 350 or so. Uh, she was a little below that this year. And if they can find a way to squeeze another kill per set out of her, she's going to be playing at an all American level next year. For sure. And I, the other thing with Becca, I mean, uh, it doesn't show up in the stats either, but it's, she is the emotional heart of this team. And when she gets fired up, she gets that block. The rest of the team feeds mm-hmm. on that too. And she just has such an imposing presence at the net and is such, such a physical player that it, it changes the complexion of the match and what Nebraska can do. And when she gets a block and does her power strut and it gets the rest of her teammates mm-hmm. fired up too. So I think yeah. again, that, that doesn't show up on stats too, but she's a, another big part of what Nebraska likes to do on defense. Yeah. And, and, you know, everyone was hurting on Sunday afternoon after the, the loss of the national championship match. Uh, you would be hard pressed to convince me that anyone was hurting more than Becca Alec. You know, she, um, she was on the on the podium afterwards, and you could tell that she was wearing her heart on her sleeves. So she's going to have a chance to... Her rolled-up sleeves. Memories. Yeah, her rolled-up sleeves. Um, let's look at the freshman of the year. And this is kind of, you know, you could go a lot of different ways here because there were four freshmen who played regularly for Nebraska this season. Uh, Lincoln, you mentioned Bergen Riley as your, your pick for offensive MVP. This is where I'm going to go with Bergen for my freshman of the year. Um, she's the first freshman to ever be named the Big Ten setter of the year, which yeah. I think is a, a really, you know, a, a noteworthy thing to be able to have on your resume. Well, she was yeah. a second team All-American. Go ahead. I would say, to be fair, that, that the Big Ten setter of the year has only existed since 2011. So mm. in the awards for a little well, but still, but still. You know that you know what that means, though, that that covers 
the careers of setters like Jordan Poulter, yeah. Kelly Hunter, Lauren Carlini, Sydney Hilly, you know, amazing national team level setters. Alicia, yeah. well, no, not Glass. Glass would have been back in like 2007, I think was a freshman then or 2006. But, um, I mean, there's, that's really heady company. For sure. Um, and, and she did something that none of those setters had been able to do in, in being named, uh, freshman or setter of the year as a freshman. So kudos to her. Um, she, as you mentioned, Lincoln, she led the Big Ten in assists, ten and a half per set. And, you know, she was, she was the choice from day one. We, we heard from Lauren Cook West last week that Nebraska had the option to go out and sign a more experienced setter in the transfer portal. And Nebraska decided that this freshman from South Dakota was going to be their ride or die from day one. And that's a huge, I think, statement of trust to, to put into someone. And I think she paid them back um, with that, you know, for that loyalty, for that trust in spades this season. And I'm really excited to see her continue to grow and, and take off over the next couple of years, because I think there's more levels to her game that she could really unlock. Sure. That was one of the things uh, I forgot to mention. One of the things I participated in was volleyball mags. Uh end of the year award and i really considered bergen for national freshman of the year too just kind of what she's able to do and jeff you talked a lot about the details of how impressive it is for a freshman to come in and be an elite setter too so uh we'll we'll see what, the, what those awards come out but she was definitely she was on my final three ballot for freshman of the year overall in the nation mm-hmm. as well too but when did those awards come out by the way when can people see those we were recording this on oh, wednesday, they, uh, yeah. wednesday night and uh i had they mm-hmm. were due today so either on thursday or friday or I, maybe on christmas eve or i don't know when they'll come out but okay ho- hopefully in the next few days uh, they will be out. Yeah, check that out at volleyballmag.com. Lincoln's a, a big contributor to the the national scope of the sport. So we'll 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 see what the picks end up being and who we can get mad and yell at for who we disagree with. Awesome. Uh, well, my pick for this to be the contrarian will be uh, Harper Murray as my freshman of the year. She really you copped came, out and picked the Big Ten freshman of the year. Uh, again, on. I feel like I'm just copying the Big Ten for all of these awards, but. Well. Uh, that just means that they're right if they're yeah. agreeing with us. Right. And she, I mean, Harper had a very impressive year too. She was a third team all American, very, uh, very impressive feat to do. And really, I think Harper, she was at her best on the biggest moments. I mean, she struggled early on in that Wisconsin match, but in the fifth set, she came on strong, had eight kills in that fifth set. Uh, and really I felt in the national semis and, championship match she was the go-to offense offensive player too i mean she had a few airs struggled a little bit in serve receive but uh she just had a little bit different approach i mean you you can to me watch her harper murray you can tell it's a big match by just the intensity of where she's how she's jumping and how she's swinging her arm she just can mm-hmm. sense the moment and brings that little bit of extra there too. I mean, she had some other outstanding matches too. I mean, she had 17 kills at 308 against Kentucky, uh, 12 kills at 417 against Stanford. Again, these big matches where Nebraska mm-hmm. needs someone to step up. Uh, she, she was huge in the, in the comeback at Penn State too. Yeah. Like she was big in that fifth set. And maybe so it, that's it, a great pick, Harper Murray. Important for her, probably the most important match for her. They returned to Ann Arbor. She had 13 kills and hit 423 in front of a probably one of the more pressure packed games for her in front of all of her family and family and friends. Her playing against her older sister in her hometown. So that was one of the mm-hmm. cool moments for her too. But just she she had a little few, few rough matches too. But when the moment called for it, I feel like Harper Murray stepped up and for the most part delivered. 
And we talked about this a little bit last um, last week too. Just what Harper Murray is being asked to do as a true freshman. Not, not a lot of true freshmen are asked to do: be a six rotation outside, be a primary passer, be a floor defender, be a server. I mean, she wasn't just like you bring her in and say, "Hey, hit the ball for three front row rotations." She had to do kind of everything, and and that is a huge ask to make someone who. Um, you know, is in their first year out of high school. I do want to throw out an honorable mention in this category because there are so many great uh, freshmen on this team. You know, we would be remiss if we didn't mention Andy Jackson, uh, the Nebraska's middle blocker. She hit 399 this year, just shy of 400, the best ever season by a Nebraska freshman in attack percentage. I believe Karen Dahlgren is who she uh, surpassed for that record, who played in the 1980s and was an all-time great. Uh, her 399 hitting percentage was the number one all-time, or excuse me, number 10 all-time mark in school history. So, you know, you, you might see that climb a little bit next year as she diversifies her offense. I think she's got to learn to hit a couple different shots on the slide. It'd be great to see if they could get her going on some of those gap sets in front of the setter as well. But, uh, you know, Andy Jackson, it's kind of frightening what she was able to put up this year when she was probably Lincoln the most raw of the freshmen. Oh, yeah. They said she had never run a slide before coming to Nebraska. And then yeah. that was the primary route she was running as the M2. So, you know, I think there's a lot of polish that they could bring to Andy Jackson's game because all of the physical tools are there. For sure. Yeah. She, she mentioned that after we were kind of doing our end of the year uh, interviews post-match and she was very proud of the progress she had made too. And I think, I mean, just, she is just pure athleticism. I mean, she can jump out of the gym and has amazing quickness. I think that's what makes her so impressive uh, as an attacker and gives her a lot of potential as a blocker as well too. She, she just has quickness and can move around the net uh, very well too. So uh, Andy Jackson, very well. Uh, Laney Choboy also had a great season too. We'll, we'll name all four freshmen mm-hmm. that played too. Is uh, I feel like uh, there's a lot of I don't know if they're serious or not, but people think that Laney Choboy didn't get any recognition this past year. It's hard to do as a three rotation defensive specialist, but again, Laney Choboy yeah. is is another one of those intangible contributors with just her kind of demeanor and her work ethic and never quit attitude. Mm-hmm. Really added a lot to this Nebraska team. Join us today during the Jeep Celebration event. Right now, get 20% below MSRP for an average of 15178 under MSRP on the purchase of a 2023 Jeep Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe or Summit 4xe. Not compatible with lease offers or with any other consumer incentive offers. 15178 average based on 20% below average MSRP from all 2023 Grand Cherokee Overland 4xe and Summit 4xe models in dealer stock. Residency restrictions apply. Take retail delivery from dealer stock by 4-1. Jeep is a registered trademark. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. So that is a look at our, our kind of MVPs or standout players on the year. We're going to look at our best moments of the year here coming up in just a second in rotation two. But first, we want to absolutely thank the great people at the University of Nebraska Federal Credit Union. They're a proud supporter of Husker Volleyball and their fans. And now they can say they are a proud sponsor of the Volleyball State podcast. So we know there's tons of alumni, fans, and friends of the University of Nebraska who are listening to this show. If you're an alum of any University of Nebraska campus, that's UNL, UNO, UNK, University of Nebraska, 
Med Center, or if you have a family member who's an alum of one of those institutions, or if you're just a big Husker fan, you don't have to be an alum at all. You can become a member of the University of Nebraska Federal Credit Union. I just stopped by there today. I'm a member myself. It's my everyday banking institution, and I'm really grateful for them. Membership in the University of Nebraska Federal Credit Union has its benefits like personal service. I get a real person answering the phone when I call a real person when I walk up to the desk and, hey, I'm out of checks or I need to make a deposit or I have a question. What is this charge on my credit card? Oh, yeah, I totally forgot about that. Plus, all the convenient online options. You have an updated website and a mobile app so you can bank from anywhere. Members also get great low interest rates on all their loans, like home equity loans, refinancing, and auto loans. They're going to be competitive with anyone, plus never any added fees, and their staff is committed to making banking easy for you. So if you want to stop by in person, they've got two locations in Lincoln, 17th and P, down right by the UNL campus, or Central Lincoln. That's the one I stopped by today. If that's more convenient for you, you can find them on 52nd Street, just north of O Street, just north of that high V and the Barnes & Noble there in Lincoln. And plus, you can always find complete details and become a member anytime online at nufcu.org. Thanks so much to the University of Nebraska Federal Credit Union for sponsoring the season ending of Volleyball State. All right, rotation two. This was, I think, going to be one of the most fun things that we talk about today. Uh, the best moments of the season. And I interpreted this, Lincoln, as as matches of the year. And I think, you know, a lot of Nebraska fans obviously have a bad taste in their mouths of how the season ended in uh, getting swept by Texas in the national title match. There were some amazing moments um, throughout the year, and we're going to talk about them. But this is one reason why we wanted to do separate shows, kind of looking one, recapping the national title match a couple of days ago, and then realizing that we didn't want the rest of the positives of the season to get lost, come back a few days later and look at the big picture. So I'm going to I'm going to take the first one here. But, you know, I want you to, to chime in on it, too, of course. Sure. Where else could we start besides that day in late August, that Wednesday, Volleyball Day in Nebraska, Huskers against UNO? This is a match that I don't think anyone really remembers what actually happened in the match. They just remembered if they were there and what the scene was like, what the vibe was like. World record 92,003 fans, a world record to uh, watch a women's sporting event, a historic day kind of in every sense. Um, from the tunnel walk to the post-match fireworks and the drone show and, you know, celebrating in the dark under the lights. It was just one of the coolest things I have ever been a part of. And, you know, Nebraska won that match against UNO um, pretty, pretty handily. It was a sweep and yet couldn't tell you really a thing about the match itself. X's and O's wise, stats wise. Mm-hmm. I just remember that we were all there. And in like 15 years, you're going to have 250,000 people who claim that they were there. It was just one of those cool moments. For sure. And in fact, that was one of the cool, such a cool moment that that's what we uh, recorded our first ever podcast for. So if you want to hear what we thought about it, uh, the match as it happened, that was a go back to our archives. That's our number one episode. Episode one. Episode one. We we released it a week late. It was supposed to be our test episode, but it was so good that we said the people need to hear this and we put it out into the world. So <laughs> But I mean, it was that's how, you know, you're talking to some misunderstood geniuses here. We're like, (laughs) the people need to know what we thought about this volleyball match. Yeah, it it was such (laughs) an amazing listen to it. Yeah, it was it it was an amazing match. I was sitting there courtside writing, uh, covering it, too. It just I mean, the volleyball, like you said, it wasn't the point of it, too. I mean, I remember it being windy and uh, Nebraska had to change their attack because of that a little bit of breeze. But 
again, no one's going to care that. I, that's one of my favorite stories I wrote from the year to the year. Uh, I talked to a, a high school coach who was there. I talked to a fan who came from Pennsylvania. I talked to a meteorologist mm-hmm. who was there and just kind of with the impacts of the weather. I talked to uh, a six-year-old girl who was there and just kind of caught in it. I talked to uh, Gina Mancuso from the professional side. So it was just kind of cool to encapsulate all of the different people that were there for their bringing their different perspective and coming together as well too. So, and I actually got, uh, I got, uh, I got, I got my piece of the uh, commemorative court too. So I uh, bought, bought one. We're not doing video yet. People oh. can't see what you just yeah. held up there, but you tell, tell the folks what you, what you just did. Yeah, the, the university sold a bunch of uh, pieces of the court. They cut that up. So that's what my family got me for my birthday. So that's pretty cool. Uh, oh, that's yeah. cool. They knew, they knew I know you could also have. get like your, your ticket framed or your, um, I guess they're doing digital tickets now. So it was like your seat location is a commemorative, um, yeah. aspect of the match that you could get. What I remember too, like everyone spent ever since they announced this back in what, May or April, February. people were worried about February. the weather as, as you do. Okay. They, we spent like eight months worried about the weather, you know, as you do in, in fall in Nebraska or in, in late summer. Like, is it going to be raining? Is it going to be too hot? Is it going to be windy? And you said it was windy down on the court level. I was way up, you know, in the nosebleeds in Memorial Stadium. And I just remember thinking the weather was perfect. Like they could not have picked a better weather. Um, they have not, they could not have gotten better weather. The temperature was great. There did, there wasn't a ton of wind up, uh, way up high. It didn't rain. There wasn't a cloud in the sky. It just ended up being gorgeous. Like the volleyball gods were like, we, we bless this thing that you were trying to do and we were going to let it, um, let it be fine. And so, I mean, obviously that to me, to me also kicked off this, you know, kind of fall of, of people falling in love with the sport, or at least it getting higher profile in, in the sports media landscape. And there's still a long way to go in volleyball, but like the big 10 network made a documentary about this. It led sports center. It was everywhere. And then from there, we just saw attendance records broken, television viewership records broken, um, the volleyball final four being on ABC and, or the national championship match anyway. And everyone to a person turned around and pointed at that August night Memorial stadium as a catalyst for, for the growth of the sport this year. Yeah. And that was one of the cool things that I, I enjoy too. I mean, th- that game has become such a iconic moment too, that you see those t-shirts that say 92,003, you know, instantly what it is. It's just a number on a shirt, but it has such resonance and kind of cultural cachet, at least in Nebraska, or at least mm-hmm. my insular volleyball bubble of a world that it, it, it really kind of broke through. And it's kind of, it was very, like you mentioned, it, it was cool seeing it kind of break out of that bubble a little bit and kind of, all the mainstream mm-hmm. coverage leading off sports center that people complain, why are we doing this on Wednesday night? Well, because there was no other, I mean, there's major league baseball, but there was no other competition from other sports. Mm-hmm. Nebraska owned literally the sporting world, not just, not just kind of the Nebraska mm-hmm. coverage. It was international news and really cool to see too. So, I mean, mm-hmm. they, they may try this again at some point, hopefully in four or five years down the road, but the first one will always be special and was that cultural touchstone, like you said, that, that kickstarted the year that was mm-hmm. um, this the year. only thing left to do. The only thing left to do now, volleyball match in space. <laughs> Let's look at the uh, mine. The next one on my list, Lincoln, was 
Um, the Huskers win over Wisconsin in October at the Devaney Center. Um, five set win. It was, it was probably Nebraska's best win of the season. Um, Nebraska needed to eke out a 26 24 win in game four to even fourth, force a fifth set because they were down two sets to one. And then in game five, Nebraska trailed 12 to 10 before, um, the freshman Harper Murray had four late kills that were aided by a couple of Wisconsin net violations. Um, it famously ended on a replay review where Wisconsin Wisconsin was found to be in the net on match point, giving Nebraska um, the victory after everyone held their breath for about two minutes while the review was happening. And and that was Nebraska's win uh, over Wisconsin to keep them undefeated and really was what gave them the cushion needed to end up winning the Big Ten championship. Yeah. And that to me also was, yeah, it was obviously, I think, the clear number two in this list, too, because it was one of those matches that had a, another one matches that had a lot of hype. Uh, and you wonder kind of mm-hmm. number one versus number two. It's the latest two undefeated teams had played in the season since I think it was the 1999 national championship game, Long Beach and Penn State, I think it was. Um, mm-hmm. So, I mean, there was just a hype and it delivered. I mean, it was a great fought match. I mean, Wisconsin really rallied that 12 blocks in that second set. Nebraska countered 18 blocks in the and, match. Yeah. And Nebraska just, still won. Yeah. And, but it, and that was one of the great environments, too. And, Nebraska needed that energy to kind of rally in the fourth set. I think the crowd came alive and it was again, another one of those electric atmospheres and really propelled Nebraska forward to, I mean, they had a couple other matches we'll talk about um, that really kind of put them on the map too, but this was the one that, all right, Nebraska's for real. They're a national title contender. And uh, is also what caused me to book my, my trip, my, my uh, travel accommodations to Tampa after this match. So I was like, okay, there's something special going on this year. So let's figure that out. All right. Um, you want to talk about the Penn State match? Yeah. I, you know, I've forgotten the, until I was looking it up while, while putting show notes together because I clicked on the wrong box score at first and I had forgotten that Nebraska played Penn State in Lincoln first and swept them. Yes. Um, I'm the Penn State match I'm referring to here is the match, the rematch yeah. in Happy Valley where uh, Nebraska falls down 0 2 and comes back and reverse sweeps Penn State. And I had forgotten until I was looking at the numbers in this one just how much Nebraska got dominated in that first set. Um, Nebraska got beat in game one, 25 to 15. Penn State hit 552. Nebraska couldn't do a thing to stop them in game one. And then game two was a little bit closer. Uh, Penn State still held off a late Nebraska comeback to win 25-23. And Nebraska goes into the intermission in yeah. rec hall, uh, trailing 0-2 and looking for all the world like their undefeated run is going to be over. Yeah. And, I mean, you mentioned that Penn State hit 552. Nebraska hit 310 in the first set, too. So, I mean, not mm-hmm. like they were just... Nobody was stopping away. anyone. No, it was just a swing fest. Yeah, but, but something changed. Uh, and, and to me, there was never any panic in Nebraska's faces. You I mean, I was watching on TV. I was not in uh, central Pennsylvania, but there was never any panic in their body language and their facial expressions or ne- never kind of like urgency that they needed to really kind of press things. Uh, they were play within themselves and really turn things around too. Uh, and, and really kind of controlled those third and fourth sets. Uh, one of those 25, 18, 25, 20, um, and and really kind of changed the momentum too, and looked mm-hmm. they, looked like they were going to run away with the fifth set. They were up, they were up four or five points there, but then Penn mm-hmm. State chipped away. Penn State kind of came back. Yeah, it was like it, it was like nine to four, I think. Yeah. Uh, Nebraska led in game five. Yeah, and, and um, it eventually Penn State tied came it up. back. 
Mm-hmm. Penn State tied it up um, late in I think they first tied it at like 11-11. I don't have the play the play in front of me. I do know they were tied 13-13 in game five. So then it becomes a race to, you know, who can win two of the next or two two points in a row. Uh, the Nebraska won the last two points on kills by Murray and uh, Merritt Beeson. And, you know, I remember us talking about this on the show at the time. Both hit very similar shots. They hit to the back left of the Penn State defense where Penn State setter Mac Pedraza, um, you know, who had conversations, we were told, uh, with Nebraska in the offseason about potentially coming in and, and competing for the setter job this year. Well, she ends up at Penn State. Um, Nebraska hit both of their final two kills at her. She was not able to dig them. I think a setter that's maybe a little bit stronger in, in back left defense um, ends up digging those balls, but they turn into kills. Merritt Beeson had 27 kills, her last one coming on an out-of-system swing to win it, and Nebraska wins the fifth set uh, 15-13 to complete the reverse sweep. So, you know, it's not, it wasn't the first time Nebraska played a big match on the road, wasn't the first time that they faced adversity on the road, but it was probably the biggest um, instance of the year to that point where, where Nebraska really had a hole to climb out of. And you think, okay, these kids have, have run into something that's a little bit too hard to solve. And they ended up solving it and, and coming back and, and winning in five. Um, the, the next match I want to get to, uh, not a lot of adversity at all for Nebraska. And that's really the big surprise. We go all the way back to September 12th, going out to Palo Alto where Nebraska beat Stanford three to one in a match that, you know, to be real honest, going into it, I thought, okay, here's the first loss of the season. Uh, Nebraska won the first set 25, 23, despite having just nine kills. And I still scratch my head at this, like how Nebraska pulled this out. Stanford, I think, committed 17 service errors in this match, committed a boatload in game one, gave Nebraska a bunch of points, and the Huskers held on to win. And then in game two, they hit 696 against Stanford, one of the best blocking teams in the country at the end of the year. Huskers had 17 kills, just one error in game two. Um, Stanford comes back to win game three, but Nebraska finishes the sweep in game four or not the sweep, excuse me, the win in game four by holding Stanford to just 091 hitting. Stanford was one of the best two or three offensive teams in the country all year long. They have a boatload of really talented pin hitters and a great, great setter and Cami Miner, and they just could not get the offense going. Uh, Lincoln uh, against Nebraska, Huskers winning Palo Alto 3-1, to one, and that was really kind of the first time all season that we thought, okay, this Nebraska team could be pretty special. Yeah, and going on the road, that was a... Our- one of the first big road. I mean, they had been to Kansas State, but facing an elite competition on on the road too, and they really proved it. They didn't uh, shirk from the moment. They really stepped up to me and proved. I mean, we we talked about it during that match how big Stanford is up front and how experienced they are. I mean, Kendall Kipps, a fifth year senior, and really, mm-hmm. uh, really. I mean, Kate, Katie Baird, she shot struggled a little bit, and Ella Rubin. Uh, as well too, but Elliot Rubin uh, really struggled in that yeah, match. Yeah, yeah, but but that was to me impressive. Nebraska looked composed. They looked like the veterans and really took care of it. Merritt Beeson had 15 kills. Uh, Harper Murray 12 kills, two errors. Uh, and Nebraska's there. They as much as we give credit to Stanford's physicality, Nebraska outblocked the Cardinal uh, 11 to eight, a couple triple blocks in there too. Mm-hmm. So. That, that to me also put Nebraska on the map as saying, I think Nebraska, that was, Stanford had lost, I think before that. It was a matchup of four versus five in the rankings too, but it felt bigger. Than I don't that. think they had. I don't they think had. Stanford had lost to that point okay. in the season because the only losses Stanford had in the regular season was that Nebraska match and then, um, Arizona State. 
they were bizarrely swept by Arizona State um, in Tempe. Mm-hmm. And I think those are the only two Stanford losses of the year. I'm not looking at their schedule. I'm just doing this from memory. Look at the box but, score. Um, they were six and two after that match, too. So I'm trying to think who they Oh, were they? So who would they have lost to? Mm-hmm. Eh. I'm sorry. We should oh. your 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 friendly volleyball podcast host. Oh, they had, they had got but, swept by Florida the week before too. That that's was, right. A full Florida was Florida. The, Florida was the juggernaut earlier this season, so they had lost to Florida okay. too. That's why they had fallen behind Nebraska in the rankings. Yeah. Well, Stanford hit just two eighteen against Nebraska that night. It would be the third lowest mark that Stanford would have all year. Uh, kind of bizarrely, Arizona State held them below that that mark both times they played this year, uh, even though they split those matches. Stanford won one and Arizona State won one. But Nebraska did a great defensive job on Stanford. And Lincoln, to me, this bolter, bolsters my theory that Nebraska played its best volleyball in September, um, not the end of the season. And so you look at back at, at the beginning of September, Nebraska goes down to Manhattan, sweeps Kansas State, who would end up, um, you know, sweeping Texas and BYU later in the season. Um, Nebraska would beat Long Beach. Nebraska would beat Creighton three to one. They'd beat Kentucky. They'd beat this Stanford team. And that was all before mid September. And yeah. that's when, you know, Nebraska really staked its claim to the number one ranking and showed that they were going to be a force to be reckoned with this year. But I think, you know, once people, started to get tape on some of the freshmen. I think late in the season, maybe you had that kind of freshman wall get hit where um, you're, you've been playing volleyball for like 11 months straight. And so I think, you know, Nebraska got worn down a little bit, but they were rocking and rolling in September and, and nobody was really touching them at that point of the season. Yeah. The other match that I want to highlight too, that just to me was very memorable was that regional final against Arkansas. Uh, Nebraska had not hosted a regional since 2016. So it had been a long time until you had that intensity and that moment kind of uh, of the season too. So to me, that was another highlight moment too. And that was, I mean, besides the Wisconsin match, that was probably the most electric that I, I felt and kind of witnessed the crowd be at the Devaney center um, it's hard to top that one versus two matchup against the Badgers, but w- with a trip to the final four on the line, that was a really fun atmosphere and also a fun atmosphere for 1 p.m. on a Thursday. No, sorry. That was a Saturday <laughs> afternoon. The, the Georgia Tech one was a Thursday afternoon, but that was a Friday, uh, Saturday at like 5 p.m. Um, but still it was very, very fun to be at, be at. And Nebraska, I mean, this is one of those winning the ugly. They hit 194. Uh, Merritt Beeson had 19 kills. Harper Murray had 15 kills. Really kind of powered Nebraska through uh, a very plucky, uh, fun Arkansas team. Too. I mean, they just had a lot of players on there. The Jill Gillen, mm-hmm. Gillen is just a five foot seven dynamo who, they, I mean, they're, they're fun to watch too, but Nebraska just kind of physically wore them down and imposed their their game plan on Arkansas. So that was another a bonus uh, bonus game, if you will, for uh, mad, more memorable matches from the year. So, And uh, Husker's size finally showed up in that one. I think it was 17 blocks they had yeah, uh, against nine. Arkansas. And, and the majority of those came in the second half of the match, I believe. Uh, and so, yeah, that was the match that got Nebraska to the Final Four. And it was one of those kind of postseason Devaney Center nail biters where the crowd really, I think, lists Nebraska a few times per year when they really need it. And uh, that was that was a really fun if, if, if it makes you if a match makes you nervous and kind of like sends you around pacing the floor. If you're a Nebraska fan, that's when, you know, it's a great match. And I'm sure that's what was happening all over Lincoln on that Saturday evening. For sure. Uh, before we move on to our next rotation, let's give a shout out to our friends at Bison Incorporated. You need 
competition quality volleyball equipment, contact the Good Sports Bison Incorporated. This Nebraska-based manufacturer has the widest selection of indoor and outdoor systems available with your choices of carbon, aluminum, steel, hybrid, and portable volleyball systems. We've talked a lot about Volleyball Day in Nebraska on this podcast. That was made possible because of our good friends at Bison. They uh, they used the Bison's freestanding portable arena junior system uh, in that Memorial Stadium match, too. So thanks to Bison for making that possible. Uh, call 1-800-247-7668 for help finding the perfect fit for your facility. You can request a quote online or find a Bison dealer near, near you at www.bisoninc.com. That's bisoninc.com. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks. Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. All right. So rotation three, we already know as of Wednesday night that there's going to be some unexpected as of, you know, non-graduation player movement happening off Nebraska's roster. We found out. On Tuesday evening, that uh, two players on Nebraska's roster who would be eligible to come back next season, Hayden Kubik and Caroline Juravicious, have entered the transfer portal. Hayden Kubik, I believe, would have been a junior uh, outside hitter next season. Caroline Juravicious was a freshman who red uh, opposite hitter who redshirted this season. Uh, they are both in the transfer portal. And, you know, I would say, Lincoln, at least from my perspective, one of these is not a surprise. The writing was kind of on the wall with for Hayden Kubik that, yeah. that she wasn't going to play a ton here. Um, she's a younger sister of Maddie Kubik. Don't know where she's going to uh, head, nor do we know or, you know, for sure uh, where Caroline Juravicious is going to head. But this is the big surprise, at least to me. And when I, you know, I asked around about this a little bit just from people who who have good connections within the program and they seem pretty surprised by this as well. What I don't know you know, and it'd be great if we ever had, you know, a coach again on in the off season to ask him about this, if this took them completely by surprise, or if this is something that they had inklings of you know, throughout the year. Yeah. To me, it did come, I, it came as a surprise to me. I, mean, I was sitting on a tarmac at the St. Louis airport, uh, getting ready to go. Up you were like taxiing to... down a runway when this news broke. Almost. Yeah. We were, we were boarding and wait, ready to go. And, uh, I saw the news cross the, uh, uh, across across Twitter and that it was going to happen. And to me, it came as a surprise as well, too. I mean, uh, I, I remember listening on November 30th, which I mean, beginning of the tournament, Jalen Reyes and Kelly Hunter were on Husker nightly and they were raving about the potential of Caroline and kind of the, how hard she hits. Uh, and Kelly was talking about the conversations that she had with the Jurovicious about how difficult it is to sit out. Cause Kelly redshirted her sophomore year in Nebraska. Um, so she was a five-year player so they can 
have that connection and kind of relate and she could relate to what Caroline was experiencing different difficulties of going through practice every day, going through warm ups, but never getting on the court. And I don't know if that led to it or just she saw the writing on the wall where she'd be stuck another year behind Merritt Beeson uh, or what it was to I mean, neither player have gave any interviews uh, since their announcement or um, Hayden Kubik posted something on mm-hmm. social media as well too, thanking Husker fans. So, um, but we don't know their rationale for what they're looking for mm-hmm. or what they didn't like. Uh, I saw it in Nebraska and we saw some greener pastures elsewhere. Yeah. And it'll be interesting to see where those greener pastures are because, you know, you, you take a look at some potential landing destinations and this is the, this is, you know, let's just say real clearly, this is the idle speculation part of the podcast. Uh, yeah, idle speculation. Uh, I don't have any sourcing. This is just an I, I think or I feel it's not, it's not an I know, but you look around and this is a very, a player that's very, very physically talented. You know, the coaches, as you said a minute ago, just raved about how high she can get up, how hard she can hit the ball. She's got a rocket for an arm. Um, her father was a famous Penn State tight end. Um, the family has, you know, obviously some connections out on the East Coast, even though uh, Mitch Sherman wrote a great story in The Athletic about Caroline Jurevicius just a, a week or so ago, maybe a couple of weeks ago. And we'd encourage you to go look that up. Mitch's story um, in the athletic and the family, he said in that story had moved to Lincoln. I believe she has yeah. a younger sister that goes to maybe Lincoln Lutheran Correct. Here yeah, in town. And on the so state championship this family, this family made a commitment to move themselves here and you don't move, you know, you, you don't just up decide to, to pick up stakes and move again lightly because that's a lot of stress on a family. You're, you're taking another kid out of high school. Um, what what this so I wouldn't I guess that's all to say I wouldn't be surprised at all if Caroline Jurevicius ended up in blue and white um, next season and, and gets to see Nebraska across the net a couple of times. What this makes me wonder too, Lincoln, is if if the decision to transfer really did come down to hey I didn't want to redshirt and I ended up redshirting. I think because of the portal, because of the freedom that players have to move that they didn't necessarily have before. I think you're going to start seeing red shirts go the way of the dodo unless there's like a health situation. Like when Kennedy Orr came into um, Nebraska and she was recovering from a, from a high school injury, unless there are very specific instances and very deliberate conversations and everyone knows the score and everyone's expectations are aligned coming in. I don't think you're going to see players transfer anymore because we see this in football. Um, or yeah, what did I say? Transfer. They're gonna redshirt. No, no one's gonna redshirt anymore. Yeah, they're gonna no one's gonna redshirt. Excuse me. <laughs> yeah, I'm, I've got transfers on the brain because you're seeing this in football too. If if you can't get a kid on the field in in the first two years, or at least show them what their path is to get on the field in their first two years, they're gonna leave, yeah. and they can leave like they've never had the opportunity before. And and I am, you know, I don't want to. I, I go back and forth on you know, what, what I think about this, because on one hand, this is great for the players. Like they have unfettered movement in the same way that anyone who works a real job, you know, has, has unfettered movement to change careers. Like coaches certainly have shown us that they're totally fine picking up stakes and moving to the next school. If, if they find a situation that's better for them and their family. So I, I kind of get it. 
But also, you know, we, we heard Jalen in our interview with him a couple of weeks ago talk about it makes it really hard to like plan out what your team's going to look like two or three years down the road. It makes it hard to decide what you're going to do uh, in recruiting and the type of players you're going to recruit. So the reality in playing time was Carolina Jurovicious was, was probably going to be behind Merritt Beeson um, next season unless Beeson switches positions, which I think could be a possibility if you're just looking to get your best pins on the floor. Yeah. And so maybe she would have had an opportunity there. And then Ryan Hunter arrives, what, in 2025? Is she a 2025 commit? So Correct. that's a couple years down the line. Um, and so now this, this kind of leaves a hole on Nebraska's roster. Yeah. Um, Nebraska. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, Let's I would go. say it, it does. I, I even had a conversation with people about what they could possibly do. Um, Maggie Mendelson, she did spot duty her freshman year, kind of playing opposite in that six, two, uh, when they were down a player. Um, and she, I think she did, she did okay on the, on the right side too. I mean, that may fit her a little bit. She doesn't have to be as mobile, laterally quick to handle that job. Or uh, incoming freshman, we'll talk about a little bit. Skylar Pierce, she did play the right pin for the junior national team during the uh, under-21 national championship championship as well, too. So she's a possibility. But it mm-hmm. kind of you wonder what that bridge is and if Ryan Hunter is going to be ready to step in because Merritt Beeson will be done by the time Ryan Hunter's mm-hmm. on campus, too, as then you get a freshman on there or... Nebraska could add a option yeah. on the, the portal and see what's going on in there. Absolutely. And and also Lindsey Krause does have some experience uh, playing on the right side as well. Did a little bit as a freshman. I think she's stronger on the left and you, you, you would, yeah. And, and a sophomore, excuse me. So, you know, I think in an emergency, you could, you could move her over to the right. I think you'd want to keep her on the left um, if at all yeah. possible, because yeah, we, we saw what happened this year. You're, you're one injury, one illness for Merritt Beeson away from, from having a big hole on that right side. And we just saw, uh, yesterday as well, or on Tuesday, uh, Nebraska's opposite hitter last year, Whitney yeah. Onstein, um, who, who sat out this season, uh, did enter the transfer portal and is officially going to be a Texas Longhorn, which I think we had kind of heard some rumblings about throughout the fall. Um, but it became Instagram official and is anything really official until it's Instagram official? Nope. Um, launch, you're, you're an old compliance there. guy. You're a compliance guy. That's in the rules, right? Like it's yeah. not official until someone posts it on the gram. Well, Whitney Lonstein is going to be headed to Texas uh, next season and provide them some depth at their um, opposite hitter position. Yeah. So um, Texas it, does it, lose yeah, Molly. It, Molly Phillips is going to USC to finish out her career on the USC beach team. So they do have opening there. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess I, sorry, I don't, I don't know their depth chart to see what else they have, but uh, there's a clear line to playing time there. It's, up for grabs too. Mm-hmm. And if Whitney, hopefully, I hope she can return to form because she was electric early that mm-hmm. her sophomore campaign and really one of the best players on the court at time too. So uh, she was fun to watch too. I hope she can regain the form after. I mean, she had a child in the offseason mm-hmm. and her season away too. And um, that yeah. can do strange things to the body. And I hope, but I hope she can bounce back and uh, get yeah. back on the court and be better and be as good, well, or if not better than her former self. And, and, you know, we don't, we don't need to spend a lot of time talking about, uh, you know, Whitney Monstein to Texas. I don't think I, I'll say another thing besides the stress that it, that it has on the body. Um, you know, having a young child, I have two young children, uh, myself and it, just what it does to you mentally and financially. It, it takes all of your attention. It takes all of your emotional energy. It takes all your money. It takes all your sleep. Um, you, you got to have a great, great support network around you. 
uh, if you're going to try to excel at anything while you have young kids. And at least, you know, we ha- we know Texas has put that support system in place before when Haley Eckerman was playing with them. She also had a child uh, while she was a college athlete. And so if any program kind of knows how to do that, and certainly if any program has the financial resources to commit to such a support system to uh, you know put around a young parent who also wants to be an elite college athlete it's probably Texas and so um it's it's going to be a kind of a interesting case study to see like what exactly you can do to to help lift up um a young family um while also trying to get the most out of them as an athlete for sure and so the we've seen now there have two transfers from this year Whitney left the team a year ago, too. I got a question from Zach in the email, too. Just kind of wondering, is this a indicative thing of Nebraska a cultural problems that are going on in Nebraska, too, that they're losing all these players that are in, in the transfer portal? I mean, they've had a number of players mm-hmm. uh, exit the program here recently, too. I mean, even a couple years back, Kayla Caffey left. Kate Kalani, also ended up Anna, in Texas. Also went to Texas. Kalen Meyer went left. Riley Gray's gone. Riley Zoon stepped away from the sport too. Is all this player movement, is this a culture issue at Nebraska or is it just the volleyball world that we're living in? I, I sense you're, you're letting me go first on that. And okay. I, I totally understand the question, right? Like yeah. what's going on? Um, I would say I don't think Nebraska loses players more frequently than most other big time programs yeah. um, currently. I mean, you can, the, the transfer portal and and nil you see what it's doing to football you see what it's doing to basketball players just have more agency and more power now to leave and find a a better situation either financially or a better situation when it comes to playing time than they ever have before and if if those circumstances had existed maybe 10 years ago then you probably would have seen a lot more player movement 10 years ago a couple of those cases that you mentioned individually lincoln i think were health related yeah, I think Riley Gray was a, you know, retired from the sport because of a health condition. And I honestly, I don't remember what a, a couple of those other uh, instances were. I think the reason this question comes up and again, it's understandable because you have several high profile players who are, are leaving to play for one of Nebraska's biggest rivals who they just played in the national championship match. And I think that adds a little bit of, of salt in the wound. Um with yeah. the rise of social media too, players have a lot more of a public voice where they can talk about things like this or at least yeah. make comments that are open to interpretation. And I think, you know, we could do a, a better job like as a media of, of trying to tell all sides of this story. Coaches, understandably, are a little reluctant to talk about that. You know, the adults kind of got to be the adults. And even if they have strong feelings about a player, they they don't necessarily benefit from bad mouthing a player after they leave. So you only really hear one side of the story. So, I mean, all year long, Lincoln, and I'll shut up here in a second, um, that we heard one of the strengths of this Nebraska program was its culture and the sisterhood, and it was all strong. So I don't know that I would say Nebraska has any any bigger problems with losing players than than any other big time program we saw what happened at ohio state in the last year the covid sort of scholarship numbers and um, the extra seasons put a lot of programs in a really difficult position with a lot of really hard conversations across the country that coaches had to 
uh, with players. I think what this did do is because it rebalanced the power dynamic between player and coaches, it prioritizes coaches and players being really, really open in their conversations about expectations and playing time. And everyone's got to be totally honest with each other when it comes to what they expect so that ever, nobody is surprised by what anyone else decides. Yeah. And I think that goes back to is that I mean, these are high level performing athletes who are have a lot demanded of them, too. And they're under a lot of stress, under a microscope. And sometimes coaches aren't for everyone, too. I mean, John Cook can be hard on players, too. He's changed a lot in the last decade, too, but he's still very high demanding. Nebraska as a program demands a lot from their uh, players to perform at, at the level that they expect. So uh, sometimes it's just kind of a disconnect there, or sometimes there's opportunities. I mean, Nebraska is stacking up these number one, number two ranked recruiting classes, too. And uh, mm-hmm. if some, sometimes your path is blocked by a player who's performing or responding better to the collegiate game too. But uh, like, like mm-hmm. you said too, I mean, we don't know a lot of the whole picture too, because even players that have transferred to Nebraska, they are very reluctant to talk about their former program or say anything negative. They clam up or just speak in very, very mm-hmm. vague terms too. So it's hard to get full accurate picture of why players are leaving. Uh, sometimes there is hard feeling and um, sometimes they'll send out some spicy Instagram stories like Kayla Caffey did. <laughs> She uh she mm-hmm. sounds a spice on the the Wendy Lonstein uh, post, but yeah. you know sometimes hurt, feelings are hurt. There's misunderstandings. There is that dynamic kind of that power dynamic that exists too, where coaches ultimately mm-hmm. do have a lot of the say at the end of the day. Yeah. So if um if Reagan Rutherford or Taylor Landfair want to come on this show and talk about why you left to search for a different playing situation, we will book that interview and interview you anytime that you want. So uh, just like slide in our DMs. Tell us you want to talk. I mean, that, those are two more high-profile transfers. Yeah. And you're going to have even more in volleyball because what we, we say that the portal closes um, on New Year's Eve. January and so, 1. Like, New Year's you can, January 1. So you're going to have another week, week and a half of players entering the transfer yeah. portal. We just saw on Wednesday, you know, Washington State's coach, Jen Greeny, is leaving Washington State to go to West Virginia. And a couple of their players immediately jumped right in the transfer portal. You're yeah. going to have more. There is going to be a player probably by the time you listen to this show that we didn't know about who was going to be in the portal, um, who is already in. So land fairs leaving Minnesota, Reagan Rutherford, who's a great, great pin hitter uh, is leaving Kentucky and there's going to be even more, you know, Texas a couple of years ago lost Skylar Fields who ended up at USC and, you know, you see, movement happen all the time even yeah. the best teams well, in the country and they lost melanie para who went up the road to tcu and became a uh, all-american I mean, two, they lost two all-americans but they found mm-hmm. other people to replace them so it's just part of the things uh so talking about you mentioned kind of rutherford land fair too the question now is, is whether nebraska is going to add anyone too i mean they lost two players we don't know exactly what the full scholarship picture is um, mm-hmm. A lot of the time, sometimes defensive specialists don't have full, they have an agreement to have a two-year or three-year scholarship or a four-year scholarship. We don't know all of those details, too. So Nebraska could have a scholarship open. They might be full at their 12. We don't know. Mm-hmm. There may be possible movement, too. I mean, Nebraska does have kind of a need for a, especially an opposite, a one-year opposite who is willing to back up Merritt Beeson and kind of be an emergency mm-hmm. outlet, too. So we'll see what, I mean, Nebraska does need to figure out what there is, what there is. And to me, I, I've been kind of underwhelmed by the name of 
elite talent that has been in the portal. I mean, Rutherford and Landfair have been kind of the high-profile names too, but when you think about when Merritt Beeson jumped in or Kalen Horde jumped in, uh, when Sarah Franklin jumped in the portal too, Mm-hmm. It's been very underwhelming this year too. Well, again, we'll see if that changes in the well, next week or two. But usually by now, before Christmas, yeah. before they leave campus, most of the people have already put their name in. Right. Well, let me let me start with this real quick. To the best of our knowledge, Nebraska does not have any available scholarships going into next season. Correct. With the the two players who have left or who who have jumped in the portal, and then the two in. There are two incoming freshmen in, in Skylar Pierce and Olivia Mock, yes. but we don't. I mean, is that assuming that they're that, both that, on scholarship? Nebraska has twelve has twelve scholarship student athletes. Yes. Okay. So, and and Mock being a DS, I don't know what that situation is, but at most, Nebraska would have one available scholarship for next year. However, you know, Nebraska could also have another player leave. Um, you know hypothetically, right? Like somebody else could leave. And I think we talked about this on the show in like in the middle of the season, or maybe it was something we did before, um, before like we started rolling. I I'll go out and I guess I'll, I'll just say this. I would not be surprised if Nebraska added someone from the portal in the next couple of weeks. I think Nebraska really could stand to get some more depth or competition at a pin hitting position. And I don't know whether that's the left side or the right side. Um, Nebraska's outsides, you know, near the end of the year, we're hitting, you know, both of them. I think they're starting outsides are hitting below 200. We know Lindsay Krause is going to be back next year. Um, she missed the last half of the year, unfortunately, with an injury. Um, I think, you know, you could see Nebraska adding one more pin hitter to just create some more competition to that spot. It would have to be a big name. It would have to be a huge talent, but Hey, they have done that in the past, right? Like Nebraska was outing transfers before adding transfers was cool. When you yeah. go, you know, look at Lexi Sun and Andy Malloy and, uh, and that's Kelsey just Robinson. Kelsey Robinson, of course, being the, the, the highest profile example. Lauren I Cook West. Long to think, to think of her, right? Like, so if it, you know, I, I don't ever, Sort of, you know, a lot of people throw shade. If you're a Nebraska fan, I've seen online throwing shade at Texas and Wisconsin and saying like, well, those players build their teams through the transfer portal. And we had a Nebraska assistant coach on the show a couple of weeks ago saying like, well, yeah, like that's one way to do it. The goal is to get the best talent possible, fit them into your system, fit them into your culture. But like talent wins matches, talent wins titles. We just saw it with Texas and we saw it with Wisconsin, you know, the, the year before that or uh, you know, the time before Texas uh, won their last two titles. And so like Nebraska would be doing a malpractice to itself if they weren't looking to assemble the best roster possible and, you know, kind of let the chips fall where they may and know where you're going to have player movement every season. So um, I think, I think of some of those players that enter the transfer portal, Lincoln um, don't enter until they know where they want to go. And like, I'm not sitting here accusing anyone of tampering, but like you are incredibly naive if you don't believe in football, basketball, volleyball, where wrestling, wherever that conversations are being had before a player even enters the portal about what their options might be. And it wouldn't shock me at all if you, you have players out there right now who are very good pin hitters who are trying to gauge whether or not they would be a good fit with Nebraska. And if Nebraska would even be interested in them, if they jumped in the transfer portal and the deal might be done by the time that someone is officially in the portal. Yeah, there's a lot of 
stuff that happens and even back channels, conversations, club coaches. I mean, a lot of it just is speculation too. It's like, I don't know. We'll see what the roster looks like. So that that's kind of where a lot of the portal stuff goes. We do know Nebraska will have two, their two incoming recruits who signed last month, Skylar Pierce, Olivia Mock. They will be on campus next month. They're both playing in the all American all Amer- Under Armour All-American game here over the next couple of weeks. So it's a good chance to watch them as well as a bunch of other elite prospects. It's a fun time. Very competitive game, too. Nebraska Nebraska will be represented there, too. Um, but as long as we're talking about player movement, I want to close up this kind of this rotation, talk a little bit about coach movement, too. Uh, we know that two of the coaches at Nebraska will not be going anywhere for the next year. Both uh, Jalen Reyes and Kelly Hunter signed another year extension. It's very common, especially after you signed that initial um, an initial contract after usually three or four years, then you go on a year by year basis. So mm-hmm. just signing a one year extension is nothing out of the ordinary. Uh, their contracts were both going to expire at the end of 2023. So, they re up. They will be back. They both got nice little salary bumps. Uh, I wrote a nice story about that. You can read that at Huskers Illustrated. Uh, the one question mark with the coaching staff is is Jordan Larson. We haven't heard anything from her. Uh, she joined the program late in September after she kind of well in person. She joined them late. She was doing stuff remotely and uh, from a distance when she was training with the national team. But she joined the team officially in late September. Her contract also expires at the end of. December 2023. Uh, we don't, we haven't heard anything extension from her, but I wouldn't, I don't think that's a huge red flag at this point too, because she's going to go uh, probably sign a professional contract, play somewhere for the next a few months. A playing contract. A playing contract. Yes. Uh, and get ready for the Olympics, play with a national team during the early summer and hopefully through uh, the Paris Olympics. And then I think uh, once she's kind of done with the Olympics and I think that's August, that gets done. I don't have a look that yeah. far ahead. Mm-hmm. Um, then I expect her kind of to uh, to come back and maybe coach. I mean, John Cook has raved about her, adding how, what her presence like is in the gym. Other coaches have. The players all really like her too. So I don't think it's a lack of production or lack of impact that will keep her away. Um, it's wanting to get that season. So um, I wouldn't be surprised if she's back in Nebraska. I, I would I would expect that she's back in, on the Nebraska bench next fall. We'll I have no information at this point, too, but I, to me, that seems the most likely outcome. Mm-hmm. So we, we've thrown a lot of questions out there, and hopefully we get some answers for them. Some may be answered in the next couple of weeks. Some might be, not be answered for a few months. But that's sort of the, the lay of the land as we move in, into the, the 2024 offseason. Let's move to rotation four real quick. Talk about some of uh, the biggest areas the Huskers need to improve on for next year if they want to get back to the Final Four. Or I think we saw Lincoln, first of all, take this one. Um, Nebraska was really at a deficit when it came to serving late in the year. I don't know that Nebraska in the second half of the year was really all that challenging with their serving. We know that, uh, you know, there may have been some injuries that um, nagging injuries that didn't keep people off the court, but maybe affected their play a little bit. But you look at how um, certainly how Texas was able to impact matches with their serving. Arkansas served tough. Um, Pitt served really tough. And Nebraska was able to overcome a lot of those. But you're not used to seeing a Nebraska team 
that is on the losing side of the serve pass battle. And I think Nebraska's got to get a lot more challenging with their serves, not just from an aces and errors perspective, but from um, forcing bad passes, forcing other teams out of system, making other teams uncomfortable, right? Like you can't play a good defense without a pass rush in football. And, and in my mind, that's, that's what serving is. It's your pass rush in volleyball. How do you give, make the other teams start their offense under duress? And so that's a lot of players who got to get better. That's Laney Choboy. That's Kennedy or if she's going to continue as a serving specialist. That's Maisie Bosiger. And that's all Nebraska's other starters like Merritt Beeson and uh, Harper Murray. You know, I wonder if they're going to let Andy Jackson serve next mm. year. Um, as John Cook always says, we've said it several times on the show, the best six servers will play. And I think, you know, that's going to be a real emphasis in the offseason and training camp is like, how do you stick those hard, late moving jump float serves um, and, and and put the other offense under duress? Yeah. And you saw progress from Nebraska, I think, as the season went on, or at least a strategy change. Uh, because there were a number of different matches that Nebraska had double digit service errors. Uh, and, and yeah, it was like eight in a row. Yeah, it was ridiculous. So I think Nebraska, we, when we talked about this, Jeff, uh, they changed the strategy. I don't know if it miraculously improved, but I think they backed off their aggression just a little bit mm-hmm. too to make sure that they weren't giving away free points too. So it, and that may have kind of impacted their defense a little bit too, because they weren't serving as tough and serving as aggressive. And mm-hmm. we saw what serving aggressive can do in the final four, because that is how Texas blitzed both Wisconsin and Nebraska was by really aggressive serving and really stressing mm-hmm. the passing of another team too. So serving will be another key, which then leads to our next one on the other end of it too, is passing. I think I don't know if Nebraska was exposed, but John Cook said that in November, they were one of the best passing teams in the country statistically, but something just, so something fell apart during the last month too, where Nebraska was giving up more aces. You saw it against Arkansas. You saw it against Texas in the national championship match too, where Nebraska was all of a sudden very vulnerable with their passing. Mm -hmm. So, I mean, is that just player development or how, how do what does Nebraska need to do to yeah. this issue? Well, it's, 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 you know, it's coaching. It's, it's a lot of reps. It's, you know, I, Jalen's got a lot of work to do to, um, reform platforms to make sure players are able to pass the ball. It's, it's a lot of it. It's experience. A lot of it is too. I think that's the Texas Nebraska match serving is really where you saw the sort of upperclassmen versus underclassmen pop up a lot because so much of it is confidence and repetitions and muscle memory. Uh, it's one of the biggest differences between high school and college is the level of serving that you see. You know, how many times in these club tournaments and high school tournaments, the other team's serving strategy is I will float a, a feathery butterfly kiss serve over just to keep it in. And it keeps, you know, the other team starts a system. Well, now you're seeing hard line drive um, jump float serves with late movement and you're it takes a while to get up to speed and and go through the learning curve of passing those so yeah i think nebraska's primary passers like harper murray and Merritt beeson and even laney choboy are going to need to to have a lot of off-season reps in um and getting balls up and getting balls to to berg and riley and you know maybe that's an area where Nebraska looks for a, a walk-on transfer as well. You know, somebody they can put on an NIL deal is, is another back row specialist to, to take some of the pressure off of um, some of their primary passers who also, um, well, you know, are take swings on offense. 
Yeah, and they do have Olivia Mott com- coming in, who she was on the uh, world championship team and the libero for the under-19 teams, too. So yeah. she could add to that dynamic, too, and maybe she'll put pressure on the other people to step up their game. So I'll be excited to see what she can add, too. Pulling up to Mickey D's just for drinks? Oh, yeah, that's me. Nothing extra, just perfection and a straw. Coming in hot for the coldest cups on the block. Because there are drinks... Then there are drinks from McDonald's. Mix things up with any size lemonade or sweet tea for $1.49. Perfect with our classic fries. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. You've worked hard for what you have. Your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com slash aware. Terms apply. Nebraska went to Brazil for a couple weeks last year. My idea, send them all to Japan for a month (laughs) and make them pass with the Japanese for 10 hours a day. They will come back the best passing team in the country. Although then maybe there's some NCAA rules or, or, you know, resource questions about doing that. But like pull a karate kid too and send them over to Asia for, you know, three weeks and make them just pass for eight hours a day. Cause like there's no better passing teams in the country than the Japanese. For sure. Our last area um, for go ahead. improvement is terminal outside production. We've talked about this a lot too. Nebraska just needs more and more, more from their outside hitters, their pin hitters, just uh, whether it's a higher percentage or just being able to deliver in the clutch as well too. So Nebraska uh, outside hitters, it was better than it has been in years past. But again, you see as the lights get a little bit brighter, the pressure gets cranked up too. You need to have that person that you, you can rely on to terminate and uh, put the ball away out of system, in system. It shouldn't matter. Um, Nebraska needs to up their level of production from the pin hitters. Yeah. And, and we've talked about potentially, you know, that being an area where Nebraska looks at um, addition of the transfer portal. I think it could even just happen through through individual development, because, you know, you look at some of these attack percentages during the year. Let's see, Alec Baton Hill Horse hit 189. You know, you're not going to go real far with a with an L2 hitting below 200. Harper Murray on the year hit 237, which is really pretty good, I would say, for a freshman six rotation outside. But you want to get her up above, you know, probably 250. Uh, Beeson actually had a really good year, hit 282. But then, you know, your your other opposites that you're competing with um, in the country are, are probably up around that 300. If you're at a Final Four level, um, I forget what exactly uh, Olivia Babcock at Pitt hit, but I know it was above 300. Yeah. So it's just everyone's got to do a little bit better. And if you're able to drag that um, attack percentage, you know, up 10 more points per person or, or add someone to your lineup that, you know, hits 275 to 300. Yeah. That's, uh, that's going to make you a scary team. You go from yeah. being a great team to a scary team. I don't know that Nebraska has a Madison Skinner on their roster or a Sarah Franklin on their roster like Texas and Wisconsin had. And I think it's been a little, it's been a few years since Nebraska had a scary offensive threat that has to be feared in every rotation. And, and that's what they need to develop or find. Yeah. You should, you mentioned, uh, 
having to find that extra hitter. I mean, Lindsey Crowley did hit 285, so uh, she was one mm-hmm. of the best. She was the best pin hitter for Nebraska um, before she her season was cut short, unfortunately. So that may be another solution too. But still, uh, Lindsey Crowley did have moments where she kind of fell into a block right where she got hit. Uh, she got roofed a couple times on consecutive plays. So we'll see again, personal development. I'm excited to see what Harper Murray can do. Just another year in the program, uh, figure out, add some more strength, add some more shots to her repertoire. If she, if she can do it, I think she has the potential to do it. She has the athleticism to mimic what we saw from Maddie Skinner, but developing her toolbox will take it to the next, next level. All right, mm-hmm. so let's move on. Let's talk about some TV topics as well, too. Uh, we, we hyped it up a bunch on our, our pre-match or preview show, too, about the uh, national championship match being on ABC. Uh, it did, in fact, smash the record of most viewed college volleyball match with 1.69 was the official average uh, for the entire match, too. But they there were some times where it reached 2 million people. So, I mean, what Jeff, what's the significance of that to you? Yeah. Well, I mean, more more eyeballs on the sport are great for growing the sport. Obviously, it's the the most simple um, deduction. I think being able to to put matches on over the air TV that just more people have is going to continue to be a great thing for the sport. For um, you know, the, the big thing is for marketers, sponsors, advertisers to see that there is a viable audience for this. I mean, it's really it's it's on a much bigger scale, obviously, but it's no different than us talking to advertising partners about our show. You know, what 2 million people watching on a Sunday afternoon opposite the NFL on ABC says is people want to consume this sport as an entertainment product. They want to watch it. They want to cheer for a favorite team. And the more people on the marketing and the sponsorship side that realize that, the more they're going to invest in the sport and help it grow. So you and me, I think, are a little... um we know a lot of people that kind of work in volleyball or adjacent to volleyball. We've talked with the Big Ten Network. We've talked with Emily, even from Big Ten Network a lot and, and the, some of the folks that work in TV and in volleyball media. And so like we're the choir already, but yeah. I think the choir is going, you know, there's a whole lot more people that can be that can be preached at. And Nebraska is a huge part of that because I saw some numbers the other day, which was like Nebraska was involved. And in, I think eight of the top 10 most viewed matches of the season if I'm off on that, I'm not off by a ton because Nebraska is just like, yeah, six of the top eight. I think 12 of the top 20 is what it was. Okay. So I think, you know, in, when you have big volleyball matches on TV, Nebraska is statistically likely to be part of that. They're not going to be part of, I guess the big, um, the live tournament in Milwaukee next year. That's going to be on Fox. That's what Minnesota, Wisconsin, Stanford, and Texas. So kind of like an early season final four type thing. Uh, I don't know, you know, Nebraska's schedule doesn't come out for a while and they haven't been announced in playing any major, um, early season events, although it seems like they always do. John Cook's been hitting at something, something's going on. We'll see what he, he has up his sleeve. Yeah. And I mean, this is one area where Nebraska always pushes the envelope too. They, they were pioneers of volleyball on TV and their brand is really, really valuable. They know people are going to watch if you put Nebraska on TV to the point where it makes other big 10 fan bases really sick of Nebraska and makes them the bad guy. But, um, you know, I think that's one, area where John Cook has always thought big, you know, you look at the volleyball stadium or the, the volleyball day in Nebraska Memorial stadium match, he's going to continue to push buttons to try to get 
um, you know, his team exposure and, yeah. and play in big events. And it'll be interesting to see what, what exactly comes out of that. Yeah. And, and to me, that the 1.69 average, that's a little disappointing too. I mean, there was, yeah, I thought it was going to be 3 million. Yeah. The, there was matches on Fox that were right around that 1.6. So this barely eclipsed that for average viewers. That was also weird because it was two different matches that were aggregated together over frames but to get just over two million i mean that's where you struggle with going up against the nfl and why so many coaches have advocated to moving volleyball to the spring so it doesn't have to fight against the monster that dominates everything in, in the nfl too so it would have been nice i wonder what it would have been like if it was a saturday night only going up against college or some random college football bowl yeah like a bowl so, game yeah so i mean i it, it was it was great to see that record being set, but it, I was slightly underwhelmed by that 1.69 mm-hmm. peak of two million viewers. So, yeah, uh, but oh, it, it's a good sign. The sport continues to grow. We'll take that. I, yeah. I don't. They have not announced what their plans are for next year, but I imagine it'll hard to be go hard to go off ABC uh, until as long as this contract is with ESPN slash ABC. So, it seems but, like Fox is really pushing though to yes. to 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 be a home of women's volleyball, you know, they, they broadcast some of the big matches that, uh, what Wisconsin, Minnesota match, uh, earlier in the season, they're going to get that big early season, uh, tournament events next yeah. year. Uh, Fox is, is trying to get on the volleyball corner. And we know that the more, you know, more volleyball and TV is just better for the sport. And it was just announced on Wednesday today that the pro volleyball federation is going to have a home on CBS sports. Um, when their season starts in late January, that's the league with the old Omaha Supernovas are going to be on. So I imagine you're going to have a chance to watch some Supernovas yeah. matches. If you're if you're a Nebraska, uh, if you're a volleyball fan in Nebraska who like the Supernovas, they're going to be on CBS Sports, which it, you have here option to go on big CBS. Is that yeah. right? Yeah. So there, there's 10 matches minimum that they will have on CBS Sports, plus the semifinals and championship match. They could pull them up to the big CBS on that. And it's very similar to what the NWSL has uh, with their mm-hmm. kind of matches on CBS sports that a couple of them, they pulled up to uh network TV. So hopefully mm-hmm. volleyball gets, gets a good, uh, gets good backing and can do that. There may be some other announcements as far as streaming or local deals as well that come out to you, mm-hmm. but this is the first kind of, well, uh, first, first announcement for TV packages, which is good to see. What shocks me about this is we can get college volleyball on TV. We can get a fledgling first year professional league on TV. USA volleyball still can't figure out how to get the best players in the country, you know, in theory, our national team on TV. You can watch us, you know, women's or men's soccer teams on like 50 different channels. Um, in fact, it's really hard to find which one they're playing on in any specific match. You can't get like the gold, the defending gold medal Olympic volleyball team on on TV and like that's really the next step in this sport is USA volleyball needs to get a television partner and figure out how to get you know Jordan Larson and Jordan Poulter and all of Team Jordan USA Thompson, all the Jordans. In, in in yeah all the Jordans um in um in people's living rooms or on their streaming yeah. devices like you shouldn't have to like go to Telemundo or a pay-per-view streaming service to watch like a qualification tournament, like to figure that part out. And it feels like the national federations are always kind of like drug along for the ride by the, by the other partners. And it would be nice to see USA volleyball take some leadership in this area. Yeah. I I think a good model for this is what soccer has done too. Cause I mean, you look at kind of what blew up first. It was the, uh, 
the United States national teams that really kind of uh, set the standard and, and really, really gained fan interest uh, and kind of had network TV games. And I think that's, that's where you grow the professional. I mean, there already is the college uh, interest in college, which um, Fox is leading with the big 10 network and things like that too. So yeah, I mean, volleyball world is great. They have, they do a lot of streaming, but, I, I agree with you. It, it would be wonderful, especially, I mean, I don't know if it's too late for the tournaments that are coming up uh, in 2024 prior to the Olympics and not having that be the only avenue to watch some of these players and all the Jordans and uh, other players mm-hmm. that are playing the national team. Let's let's go into rotation six. And Lincoln, I want you to, to take the ball and run with this one because this was kind of your yeah. baby. And, and I'll jump in here a little bit too. But it's really about what kind of the future of a volleyball state looks like. And, and I'll just start by saying what we know for sure is like both Lincoln and I kind of need a break. And y'all probably need a break too. Uh, we did like four shows in the last week and the college season um, is ending. This is not to say that we're going to wait until like August to come back with shows. We're going to give you shows during the college off season. There's a lot of stuff to talk about. There's this, uh, there's pro, pro volleyball federation, professional volleyball is happening. You're going to have Olympic qualification. You're going to have the Olympics in the summer. You're going to have transfer portal stuff and recruiting and, you know, Lord knows what else, but like we will be coming back periodically, maybe something like once a month and then breaking news as it happens. But, um, we're going to keep this thing going and that's to people that's thanks to people like you who continue to tune in week after week and give us download numbers that we really never thought possible when we first launched this so both Lincoln and I are super super grateful for you all to make it known that like this is something that people have an appetite for and is a, is a viable thing to continue doing but I think what we would like to do Lincoln is ask folks to to maybe yeah. give us even a little bit more information about the types of things that they would like this show to be yeah, we've, we've thrown out our email a lot too, but I think we wanted a kind of a collection point of who's listening to this? Who are you? We want to hear from you about what your interests are, topics we can do. Jeff left us a list out a whole bunch of things. I mean, we could just do, um, interviews with former players with, uh, national teams, kind of more of a free flowing conversation, um, unstructured with the rotation. So, uh, but there, there's a lot of potential for this podcast too. Cause I think mean, one thing that we have learned is there is an appetite. People do like, college mm-hmm. volleyball they do like uh volleyball. i think this is what jeff came up with the slogan it, when we were trying to pitch this it's mostly college volleyball mostly nebraska but that does leave a lot of uh options to uh cover the sport in different ways mm-hmm. that really aren't being covered as well too on the day-to-day basis i was going to say just real quick in in the off season this gives us a chance to kind of talk about the things not only that we want to talk about but the issues that we feel like the the sport faces are like the hot topic issues, whether that's the transfer portal, whether that's NIL, whether that's coaching movement and, and coaches moving away from the, you know, former Pac-12. And we would love, that's one of the things we would love to hear from you all the listeners is what things do you want to hear us talk about? Yeah. Not just like who's the latest transfer Nebraska is going to add or who has left the Nebraska roster, but like what are the, the writ large issues, whether that's at the club level, whether that's at the international level, like tell us the types of things that you feel like nobody is really talking about in this sport. Like that's one of the reasons Lincoln and I started this show is because we didn't know anyone else um, really that, that talked about volleyball very much to the extent that we like to talk about it. And at the end of the day, that's what we like to do is like, we like to talk about volleyball and there's not a lot of other places, at least here um, that, that do that. And so uh, I think Lincoln, we're going to set up a mechanism for people to tell us 
exactly these things, right? Yeah. We're going to set up probably a Google form and we'll send out a link probably on our social media. We'll announce it, whatever our next podcast is. We'll leave it open for a little bit too, just to kind of figure out what interest you have, what questions you have. Also, this is a little bit self-serving too. We want to know who you are, what demographics, whether we have our, our audience is 60% club volleyball players. Great. Or it's 50% parents of volleyball players too, or just Nebraska fans. So we want to figure out who you are so we can better serve you. One thing that we would like to be able to do is, is just get a little bit more support, bring in some new partners who, who are going to incentivize us to continue doing the show as frequently as we have done it. And, you know, we need, we need information to do that. We need to tell them who our listening audience is and show them that this is a vibrant, important audience so that we can form partnerships that help us grow the show and expand what we want to do because we've got some really exciting ideas. We're talking with interesting people who are excited to help us grow the show. And this can only help by, by learning some information about who our listening audience is. So we really, really appreciate the sponsors that we do have. We would love to be able to grow the portfolio of that to, you know, really incentivize us to to continue doing it and to continue doing a better job with it. You guys have helped us uh, do kind of season one, I guess we would yes. unofficially call this season one of, of Volleyball State. And, and we love everyone that has subscribed and reviewed so far. Please continue to help us spread the word about this and um, and and keep it going for, you know, all year round. Again, we're not going to do weekly shows during the college off season, but we're not going away entirely. You can't get rid of us that easy. Um, you can continue to engage with us on twitter at volleyball pod please continue to email the show at volleyballstate at gmail.com you can find me on social media at by jeff sheldon lincoln where can folks find uh, all the great stuff that you're going to be working on over the next few weeks yes the best place to do that is on my twitter account lincoln underscore vb or if you are on threads lincoln a underscore vb uh, and all my articles uh, the big stuff will be happening on uh, huskersillustrated.com and also check out volleyball mag they put out lots of great stuff but not just about college game too they they do a good job covering all aspects of uh, volleyball as well too and also if you want to listen to some other podcasts as we take a step back check out podcast house media at podcasthousemedia.com they have a lot of other great podcasts to listen to and uh, check out the family and the network that we are a part of that's right. And we are going to put that survey together. It's going to be short. It's going to be manageable. We promise. We're not going to ask you to take a census, but uh, keep an eye on our social channels over the next week or so as we put that together and um, hopefully learn a little bit more about you and the types of things that you would love to hear us covered right here on Volleyball State. Have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year, and we will talk to you again in 2024.